There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Does the universe love you? A few weeks ago, I was confronted with that concept when I happened to see a post by someone who embraces New Age spirituality, who I have been trying to reach over the past few months. And she was doing an interview with someone else, and that was the subject matter. The universe loves you. And that just really triggered something in me, and I thought, I've got to do a podcast on that. I've got to explore that concept and respond to that concept. And I believe this will be extremely interesting to you and extremely informative because this is a much more prevalent mindset than you would realize. I did an internet search on that very concept and I typed in the question, does the universe love me? Much to my surprise, I got 639 million hits. So it is a dominant idea in the hearts and minds of people. One of the particular sites I hit that was up at the top of the list was a popular New Age teacher that talked on four signs that you can be sensitive to in your life, four signs that the universe loves you. And these are confirmations that you are truly loved, unconditionally loved by the universe. Number one, the sun rose today. And I'll elaborate in just a moment. Number two, life is full of opportunities. Number three, you can always return to love. And number four, you can always find something to be grateful for. And those four ideas were supposed to be proof that you are loved by the universe. Number one was the sun rose today. In other words, there is something consistent that you had nothing to do with that is geared towards sustaining you and the rest of the human race because one day without sunlight would plunge the world into a frigid condition where nothing could live. And so there is a predictable pattern in the creation that sustains you, that keeps you, that takes care of you, that nourishes you, that makes sure you have provisions, that makes sure your life is uh, something that can be perpetuated because of food and natural conditions and environment, etc. And so all of that is supposed to be a subtle communication from the universe, that you are loved. Hmm. The number two is life is full of opportunities. And the implication of that statement was that the universe is always positioning things in your life to help you exit from problems and enter possibilities 
to have a better life, a more fulfilling life, a more fruitful life, a more purposeful life. And that this is being orchestrated for you as you learn how to come into alignment with the universe. And of course, there's certain methods that are supposed to affect that. Life is full of opportunities, and all of us have opportunities. Whether we happen to be in a relationship with God or not, there's all kinds of opportunities we're surrounded with. Some are in much more dire, troubling conditions than others in life. Certainly, there's people in the depth of despair around the world. But for the most of us, we have opportunity to change, to climb out of the hole, to do better. Is that a subtle communication that the universe is working for me? Then number three is you can always return to love. And let me underscore something here that I deeply appreciate anyone who seeks to be a loving person. In fact, that's why a lot of people turn to New Age spirituality because they got burned out with critical religion and critical religious people. That's one motivation that I've heard repeated quite often, and that they wanted to find something that really showed acceptance and love and tolerance for other people. And I can see the value of that, but not at the expense of compromising truth. However, I do admire anyone that draws back from the hostility and the anger and the pride and the avarice and the greed that saturates and contaminates the hearts of human beings. And they say, no, I'm going to live a life of love. I believe they're getting close to the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus told the lawyer who asked him what the greatest commandments were. And Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he responded to Jesus, truth, Lord, for to love God with all the heart and all the mind and all the soul and all the strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings. In other words, he was saying that's more important than religion. And Jesus said the most beautiful words. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He still needed to be born again. He still needed that regenerative experience that was going to be available after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And many, many thousands and tens of thousands of Jews were the first recipients of that experience. And maybe that lawyer, who was also a scribe, was one of those who was born again after Pentecost. Who knows? He might have even been in the upper room. He might have had a change of heart. But my point is that love, believing in love, emphasizing love, brought him right up to the reality of the kingdom of God. And so I am not diminishing the importance of that. And I honor that and I respect that, but love is not enough. There's an old song, I forget who sang it, Love is All You Need. Was that the Beatles? Uh, uh, well, Elizabeth's shaking her head back and forth over there. I'm not sure which one it was, but love is all you need. No, you need more than love. You need the Lord of love himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrated love in this world and even said that he would pray the Father's love into the hearts of his disciples. He said that the love that the Father has loved me may be in them and I in them. He prayed that for us. And so love is an important thing. And you can always return to love. But 
is that a sign the universe loves you? Of course, the idea is that if you have that capacity of love, something gave it to you. And it must be the universe or the spiritual component of the universe, not just the material universe, but the spiritual aspect of the universe that gave you that capacity. And so you're tuning in, you're coming into alignment with a universe that loves you according to the idea, the teaching. And then number four, there's always something to be grateful for. So the idea here is that you can become sensitive to this love streaming from the universe when you see the evidence of things you can thank God for, or thank, excuse me, thank the universe for, um, <laughs> or uh, you can at least in your heart be positive instead of negative concerning what you're facing in life. And, and that's supposed to be evidence that, hey, it's not as bad as I thought it was. The universe is still working for me. So what's my reaction to all these ideas? Once again, I want to emphasize that most of the people that believe in this type of idea, this concept, are loving and peaceful people who are seeking truth and seeking for a higher level of life, uh, a greater way of living in a fulfilling way. And they're sincere. They're very sincere. I, I've never met one who wasn't sincere. But sincerity is not always the sign of veracity. That's one of my favorite statements when it comes to apologetics, that sincerity is not always a sign of veracity. And veracity means truth. Just because you're sincere in believing something doesn't mean it's the truth. It may give you a certain sense of accomplishment or fulfillment by embracing that idea, but it doesn't mean you're connected with something that endures forever, because truth endures forever. Deception is temporary. Wrong beliefs are only uh, chaff blown with the wind, all right? And some of those who believe in the universe communicating with us, taking care of us, loving us unconditionally, are people that believe in a monistic and pantheistic view of the universe. What do I mean by that? The word monism means all is one. It's the belief that everything in the universe is one essential substance and everything is interconnected. And pantheism is the idea that the universe is not a creation of God, but rather an emanation of God, an emanation of the Godhead, that the universe not only natural but spiritual, was emanated out of the Godhead, so everything has a divine essence. The tree is a manifestation of God. The cat is a manifestation of God. I'm sure my daughter would almost agree with that as much as she loves her cat. And every human being is a manifestation of God. So they have a monistic, pantheistic view of the universe. Now, as a Christian, I believe, quite the contrary, that God exists apart from physical creation. And I've taught on that. And you can go back in my podcast and the articles on thetruelight.net and find some that deal with that subject. I believe God exists outside of the physical universe. And that's why he can be pure, untainted. And you cannot attribute that evil that is here to him because he's not the author of it. He's outside of the universe. 
Other influences have created evil, like a fallen angel named Satan, a fallen man named Adam, and a fallen world system that is the product of both of those things. That's where evil has streamed from. Okay, but I am getting on a sideline. My first response to this person I was communicating with, and she's a lovely person. She's a loving person. She's really reaching for something better in life. And so I'm trying to reach her, pray that I'll be able to. And my first line of logic with her was this, that if the universe can love you in its magnitude, in its greatness, in its, uh, its tremendous immensity, if it can love you, then individual parts of the universe should be able to love you. If the universe loves me, then the tree in my backyard must love me. So I guess that would turn me into a tree hugger, or the tree would hug me, uh, or the flower loves me, or a star twinkling up in the sky loves me. If the universe loves me, components of the universe, parts from the macrocosm to the microcosm, even the little cells and molecules and atoms pulsate with love toward me if the universe loves me. And I don't think that anybody would fall prey to that idea, that the trees and the flowers in their yard actually love them. So it would make me question whether or not the whole idea is correct, or if it's a wrong view altogether. My second response is threefold. Believing that the universe can love you, and let me read it now. Believing that the universe can love you, actually it's fourfold, threefold rather, uh, does the following three things. Believing that the universe can love you leads you to the next three conclusions or the next three beliefs. Number one, it degrades God. It confuses the personal creator with an impersonal creation. See, New Agers and about half of the Hindu people uh, believe that the universe is an emanation of God, and, and so everything is a manifestation of God. So they believe there's an impersonal life force called Brahman, or the Oversoul. There's a lot of names given to absolute reality that is the concept of the nature of God. Uh, so God is an impersonal force. And if I believe the universe loves me, then I'm confusing a personal creator with an impersonal creation or an impersonal life force behind that creation. So it's degrading God. It's taking him down to a lower level of existence. Romans one twenty five speaks about that error in thinking. And this is the New Living Translation. I like it the best of all I've read. It's talking about those that have this kind of mindset, and it says they traded the truth of God for a lie, because you can't embrace both ideas simultaneously. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So number one, if you believe the universe can love you, it degrades God. 
Number two, it diminishes God's authority because human beings are no longer accountable to an impersonal force or a universe that is not personally connected to them in a way that makes them accountable for their behavior. In fact, anyone who believes this idea of the universe loving you, it's unconditional love. No matter how you live, what choices you make, it's unconditional love. So it diminishes God's authority because human beings are no longer accountable to a personal God, but rather they are in control of a divine force that is subject to them. See, the law of attraction is a very popular New Age idea. And in that concept, you need to put out as much positive thinking, as many positive thoughts as you can, and positive words that you speak. And that if you keep speaking and thinking what you want in life, the universe will respond to you and give you what has dominated your thoughts and your speech. So the comparison is like a genie in a bottle. Well, a genie is subject to the one that rubs the bottle. And so that makes God subject to you. You are superior. You are in the dominant position and God is being controlled. So number two, believing that the universe loves you actually diminishes God's authority. And then number three, it denies God's true identity. Because if I equate the universe with ultimate reality, then I've missed the nature of God and the character of God altogether. Because according to the Bible, and the Bible has an extremely unique view of the Godhead, you will not find it in Hinduism, nor in Islam, nor in Jainism, you will not find it in Shinto or Zoroastrianism. You won't find it in any religion of the world except the full biblical revelation that God is comprised of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. And let me say, if there has ever, ever been a source of love, it is the God of the Bible. Because John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Jeremiah 31.3, he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And perfect love casts out all fear, the Bible said. What does that mean? It means when you have a perfect understanding of the love that God has towards you, it will drive fear out of your life. Love conquers fear. Love conquers depression. Love conquers anxiety. And knowing the love of God is infinitely more important than believing that the universe loves you. To actually know the God who loves you is incredibly wonderful. So what should we think about the universe? How are we going to categorize the universe? If I don't believe the universe actually has an emotional response to me, that the universe has the capacity of loving me, then where does the universe fit in, in this great big world of theology we're exploring? Psalm 19 gives us good insight. Verses 1, 2, and 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, not unto night shows knowledge or reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now that's not speaking literally, but metaphorically, poetically, that the universe speaks to us of the awesomeness, the greatness, the magnificence of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so, yes, the universe is used to point us to God, but not to substitute for God. Because God is a personal God, and he can and does love you but not the universe that he created. That's for you. It's not something that streams with love towards you. Now, let's go back to the four points one more time. The New Ager who taught signs that the universe loves you. The sun rose today. Well, yes, there is an ordered universe, but that doesn't mean that the universe loves me. It means the God who loves me has created a predictable environment for me to dwell in. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, first God created the environment, and then he created the creatures that would live in the environment, and he made sure the two were completely compatible. That's not a sign the universe loves me. That's a sign that my heavenly father is a genius at making all these systems work together to produce something that sustains me. He said, to behold the lily, behold the sparrow. If your heavenly father takes care of them, how much more is he going to take care of you? Number two, life is full of opportunities. Well, if you can believe that without knowing God, how much more will that be the case if you do know God? Because the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God's going to make sure that you have opportunities for change when you need to change, opportunities for new beginnings when you need to extricate yourself from something that's been damaging or destructive and start over again. Jesus said, I set before you a door that no man can close. And so he is very involved in setting opportunities in your path. That's not a proof the universe loves me, but it's proof that the God who created the universe is involved in the details of my life. And then you can always return to love. Well, Deepak Chopra, who is a very influential New Age teacher, he said, by prioritizing love in your life, you will attract more of it for yourself from the universe. The universe can't send love my direction. I know he's respected by millions of people that follow his teachings, but I think that's a completely illogical thought that the cosmos, that galaxies swirling through the universe can send love my direction. No, but if you do love people, there's going to be an overflow of love back into your life from them. What you sow is what you reap. And as you live a loving life, God will manifest his love in you and through you and towards you as you develop a personal relationship with him by inviting the Lord of love, the Lord Jesus Christ, into your heart. So you can take these ideas and extend them, expand them into truth. They stop short of truth. 
And then number four is there's always something to be grateful for. And that actually is a biblical principle. It doesn't teach the universe loves me, but it gains me access into intimacy with God. Because the Bible said, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Let me give you a little analogy, and then I'm going to close as soon as I can. I have friends that are involved in a well-digging ministry. They go into communities where they are unfortunately only able to get very muddy or very polluted waters, and many of them suffer with horrible illnesses as a result. They go into poverty-stricken areas where people can hardly help themselves, and they will dig a well because they love the people, and it's a demonstration of their love. Well, what if the people mistook the creation and responded to the creation, and I'm using that word with reservation, but they respond to the creation of the well instead of those who created it. Then they would surround the well and bow down to the well and honor the well and love the well back and tell people about how you can receive love from the well because it supplies water to sustain you that's clean. No, look beyond the gift of the well to the giver, the one who gave that well. They might even create festivals to celebrate the well, and that would be okay unless they attribute to the well itself the nature of the ones who dug it. And they let the credit for the well end with the well itself instead of the ones who brought it to them or who dug it for them. So I think people are doing that on a much more massive scale when they assign love to the universe and an ordered life to the universe and opportunities to the universe. Well, I think we should enter into God's presence with thanksgiving and gratitude. That's the way you approach God. But bypass what he's done and go to him. Don't just be thankful for the good things he's done. Be thankful to him for doing it. One final admonition. Don't confuse the visible with the invisible. Let me say that again. Don't confuse the visible with the invisible. We human beings like to relate to what the five senses can connect with, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch. We're in this prison of the five senses, and we want to be able to relate to things through the senses because we know that's reality. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And Hebrews 11.27 says, concerning Moses, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king or the wrath of Pharaoh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I'm asking you, if you happen to embrace this idea that the universe loves you, can you go beyond the visible cosmos and decide within your heart that you're going to come into a relationship with the invisible God who made it? All you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Do what I did when I was a teacher of yoga at four universities and ran a yoga ashram. I dedicated one day to Jesus and I said, if you are the savior of the world, 
If you died on the cross for the sins of humanity, I said, that's huge. If you truly rose from the dead, that's huge. And that makes me want to find out if you truly are the way, the truth, and the life as you claimed. And you said, no one can come to the Father but by me. So I said, Lord, if that's true, give me a sign. And the sign that day was a former student of Yogananda's who had become a born-again Christian picking me up hitchhiking. So ask him to lead you. Ask him to guide you. And then invite Jesus into your heart and ask him to give you that spiritual rebirth that brings with it the gift of eternal life. Now, let me mention two other things. I urge you to order my book, In Search of the True Light. It's available in paper form. It's also available as an ebook on Amazon all around the world. And it's 336 pages of an in-depth explanation of many different subjects like the one we just explored. It's a comparison of over 20 religions in seven different areas of doctrine. You will absolutely have a college-level understanding of comparative religion if you order In Search of the True Light. And also, I urge you to go to our website, thetruelight.net, and download this free booklet. It's called The Highest Adventure Encountering God. And it's available in German, in Spanish, in English, in Portuguese. It's going to be available in Chinese and Hindi in the next few days. And so you can go there and you can, you can share it with a friend who doesn't understand English very well. So anyway, we love you and appreciate you. And I can guarantee you that God who created the universe loves you. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.